and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning. Welcome to you few who braved the hurricane weather. (laughs) And to those who are hunkered down at home. Uh, Good morning. Glad you guys could be here with us. A couple of things to announce before we get started. Uh, You may have seen on our socials that we are not having our potluck this evening because of Hurricane Hillary. Uh, but we are going to move it next week. So it's going to be next Sunday, 5 o'clock, same place at the Borja's home. If you need information, it'll be on the social medias, as well as if you want to sign up to let us know what you're going to be bringing. So that's going to be happening. And also, uh, just to let you guys know that um, the memorial service for Patience and Ecuador's son is going to be on Friday September 8th, and it's going to be at uh, 5.30 p.m. at Hall of Grace in Whittier. Um, We will probably have more information available as the time gets closer, but you can put that on your calendars Friday, September 8th, 5.30 p.m. uh, if you would like to support the family and go to O's memorial service. Um, Also, some good news in that we have found out, I have shared before, that Corrine's mom has been having some ailments. They took her to ER a couple times this last week, and uh, the other night, I think it was Friday night, uh, they took her, and she had an inflamed, um, uh, gosh, I'm blanking out, um, appendix. And so they removed her appendix, and uh, Corrine said that yesterday when she saw her at the hospital, she looked better. Just So we're praying that this was the problem, and they just were unable to find it, and uh, they did remove it, and she's still at the hospital, so we want to be praying for her recovery, uh, and that this is maybe the reason that she's been having so much problems. Um, and also I talked to Ben yesterday. The family is doing well Uh, Again, so grateful for everyone who showed up to the party for Sue and um, continue to pray for Kristen. Kind of the family is going back home now. And so she's going to be left home with the kids processing all this. Uh, Ben too, but he's going to work. So, um, and also pray for her. She's having surgery um, actually, I think on Monday. I didn't get information from her or permission to share what it is. So, I don't want to, but be praying for them. Anyway, let's pause, let's pray, and we are going to get started here this morning. Father, once again, we are grateful for community. We are grateful for family and people in our lives who uphold us, support us, encourage us. And Lord, may we do that for the people around us. May we encourage those that we love who are going through difficult times, whether it be the loss of their son or an ailment or the loss of their mother and the grief. 
Father, may we come alongside and hold and encourage and support those who are going through these times of difficulties. And once again, we are grateful, Father, to be able to gather here together or with one another in various ways as your representatives, your body, the church. May we be effective in how we represent you by how we love one another. And may this morning be an opportunity for us to grow in knowledge and understanding with one another as we desire to lean into you. And we do so, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Rosemary. Well, this morning we've been going, we're going to continue going through various words. And the word I'm going to talk about this morning is the word witness. Um, You know, whenever there's a, a severe storm, hurricane, let's say, or an earthquake or some natural disaster, what we usually do is turn on the news, go to some source, and we can see it happening, you know. Here's the storm watch, here's the flood, here's the mudslide, here's the damage done in the grocery store. And there's some kind of example that we are visibly able to see that tells us what was happening. It's witnessing the event. But imagine when you didn't have any media, when you couldn't go and see something, there was no news report, there was no internet the only source you had was the testimony of other people. So if there was a horrendous flood or an earthquake that happened in another part of the region, you might never know about it. It might go on as if it never happened at all unless somebody told you about it and said, hey, I was over here in Pompeii And man, you should see the place now, right? Well, you probably wouldn't be there either. But it took that kind of example and witness for that to be verified. Otherwise, how would you know? And the same thing was true with criminal activity and the justice system. If a crime took place, you would not know about it unless there was somebody there to verify that it happened. Right? Someone robbed a bank or whatever they had that was of importance. Someone you know, stole something that was of value. How do you know unless somebody would tell you about it? And then that word would spread and other people would know. And so in the Old Testament, we see lots of instructions about eyewitness testimony. Right? The death penalty given to a murder has to be by more than one witness. Because otherwise it could be tainted. I just don't like you. This guy did this. We need to kill him. And so it had to be by two or more witnesses that something was to be verified because that's how important things were sustained. That's how they were verified. There was validity given to that when there was a multiple witness account. And so you can imagine that this sets a whole different concept into play in society. If we could get enough people to witness against something or to witness for something, we could start making our own rules. We could start controlling the system. It happens still, right? These things, if we can taint the narrative, we can control what's happening. 
And so we see that witness tampering was something that did take place. In Psalms, it says, you know, those who have borne false witness have risen up against me in Psalm 27, right? It happened to Jesus as well in Matthew 26, where there was false accounts given of the things that he said and did. Jews didn't believe that truth was just objective. They also believed that it had to be recognized and confirmed by trustworthy people. That truth was something that was to be shared. And think about all these words that we've been going through, whether it be peace, whether it be salvation, faith. It's something that was shared. It wasn't just, oh, I have peace. No, peace was supposed to be something that you brought about with other people. It was something that was supposed to take place among people, not just an individual. And the same thing is true here in the area of truth and what they're trying to find, that justice is something that is shared between people and verified by the witness. And this, again, has its origins kind of in that village council that they would get together and give the testimony and decide the truth of what was going to happen because how common the process was in society, it started to become popular even in a a poetical sense where now the moon, the psalmist would say, bears witness to the faithfulness of God. Or Job called on God to bear witness of that he was telling the truth and he did nothing wrong, right? The idea of a witness is something that was connected to the idea of truth and connected to the idea of society. It was something that involved the other. And so when a people were conquered, say, by another God or another country, it was thought to be that that God was stronger than our God. And so when the Babylonians conquered Israel, there was a, a, a feeling that our God wasn't strong enough to fight against their God, so their God must be the better God to serve. And, and that narrative is where Isaiah starts to write and to the people who are coming through the captivity. And he addresses that, that they're being swayed from their tradition. And in Isaiah chapter 43, starting at verse 9, He says, all the nations are gathered together and the peoples are assembled. Who among them can declare this and tell us the former things? Let them present their witnesses to vindicate themselves so that people may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. And so Isaiah is pointing back to the deliverance from Egypt, and it's his way of bringing a witness to the stand, the key witness to tell them this is true, and what is the witness? You are the witness. You are here because God did that then. That is why you are here now. And we see that Isaiah now pushes into the idea of whose God is better. And he says, there's only one. And again, this is a 
a transformation from what we saw in Exodus. If you guys remember when we were going, even in the 10 commandments, you shall serve no other gods before me. There was this idea of there's a lot of gods, but we have the better one. And Isaiah pushes into this idea of, no, there's only one and it's ours. And this is what he did. We are witnesses of that. And we'll see that evolve even more throughout the New Testament where Paul says they're so-called gods, but they're not really gods. He points back to something important in their history to bear witness to the idea of who God is. And and I, I wanted to ask you guys at the beginning, when you hear the word witness, what comes to your mind when you first hear it? I know I asked someone, I think Brian, I asked that, what it comes, and it was the idea of evangelism, witnessing, telling someone something, right? I'm witnessing, that's the idea that comes to my mind. But here we see it's more of bearing witness than witnessing. It's more of being a part of something that has happened and confirming what has happened than it is just telling people something. And witnesses don't all need to be verifying by more than one person, right? If I see a squirrel in my backyard, I say, yeah, it ran through the fence and jumped in the tree. I don't need two or more people to you know, verify if that happened. Odds are it happened. Why would I lie about something like that, right? It's not a big deal. So there are things that you can witness and it's not a big deal, but the more important that something is, the more it needs to be substantiated. <clears throat> there was an eight-foot alien in my backyard. He dropped in and stole some avocados and took off, right? I, I need someone to verify that. Otherwise, you know, what did you smoke, buddy? What's going on, right? And <laughs> there, I've been, it's been validated by Rick. And then the validity of the person bearing witness also. <laughs> right? It, the bigger the subject, the bigger the scrutiny and the hostility. And so moving into the New Testament where people are now following Jesus, saying that he rose from the dead and that he was the one ordained by God to bring about this new salvation, it caused hostility. And there had to be people who bore witness to it. And so in Acts chapter 22, it says, and when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. That was Paul talking. The word martyr and the word witness are the same word. And so here in this translation where it says, when the blood of your witness, in the New King James, it says you're martyred because they are bearing witness and they're doing it with their life. And so it's important to see that the idea of witness cares, carries with it this idea of responsibility. And in this case, there is the danger. And so we jump to the book of Revelation, and we're going to kind of look at this a little bit because it's important that as we look at the book of Revelation, understanding what form of literature it is. Right? It's apocryphal literature, and, and what that means is it's a gener, gener, it's a type of writing, since I can't that wants to unfold heavenly visions to 
help us mortals get a glimpse of what is happening on the other side, uh, on the other realm, beyond what our eyes can see. These revelations are sometimes necessary because one, either believers have distorted the truth of God and mixed truth with false images, or two, people have lost sight of God and are stumbling around in the dark looking for light and hope. And sometimes revelations are a combination of both those things. And John is gifted with this powerful vision of history, the divine realm, and the future of the world, not so he could write down a eschatological map of how things are going to happen, right? It's not a timeline to follow, but so that he could capture a fresh vision of the truth and then give testimony to it to the people of God with the wisdom and to challenge and convict those people who were caught up in the darkness. Remember, at the time when Revelation is being written, the church, the group of people who were following Jesus were going through persecution. And they were seeing the power of Rome getting stronger. Temples are being built to all their gods. They seem to be thriving. Did we make the wrong choice? Did we pick the wrong horse in this race? Have we made a mistake? Just like Israel in Babylon saying, is our gods relevant anymore or should we be worshiping other gods? And so John is writing because this is the condition of so many of the people who are followers of Jesus at that time in some of these cities. And so in Revelation chapter one, verse one, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written, because the time is near. And so the book is being written to bear witness of Jesus, to validify what Jesus said and did to the people who are struggling and trying to make sense of what is happening. And from the first verse, we're reminded that we are to witnesses, we are to witness the truth that is revealed in Jesus, who points and testifies to the truth of who God is. And that's what the witness is supposed to be. We're, we're validating what Jesus did and what Jesus said about God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so again, like Isaiah, using Exodus to testify the truth of who Israel is, he's using the resurrection to testify who Jesus is, the ruler of the kings of the earth. We are bearing witness to this because what has happened has changed what is happening with us. Later in chapter three, verse 14 of Revelation, it says, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, 
the originator of God's creation. The amen is the verification, the the verdict of the testimony of Jesus, revealing the transforming power of God. Look at what God is doing in all these people, in all these cities, in all these places of the world, because Jesus conquered death. He has transformed us. We are bearing witness. We are holding on to this in spite of the persecution that is happening to us. Being a witness is a dangerous thing when people don't like what you're saying. Gosh, look at the journalist Julian Assange, who exposed what the government had said and now is in prison. We don't like that. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to lock you up because you have revealed something that is affecting us. And so being a witness is a dangerous thing if people don't like what you're witnessing too. And often it is in the most difficult situation that witness becomes most clear. We see the clarity of what you're saying because of the difficult you are saying it in. It has power when a person is risking life to hold on to something they believe true. Wow, they must really hold on to that. And so it gives credence to at least their conviction of what is being said here. Revelation chapter 17, verse six says, then I saw that woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And so now here we see a vivid picture of the things that the early church was going through. It probably represented the goddess Roma, and she was the patroness of the Roman Empire that basically chewed up Christians and spit them out. And so in this vision, in this declaration, in this story that John is writing to the people who are in this, he's telling of this corruption, of this injustice, right? It's not a book about the rapture and the end times as much as it's about helping those early followers of Christ to see themselves through the eyes of God and know that their public witness is so valuable, right? She was drunk on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. Those people who had something, she was using it in this vile way, to know that their public witness is so valuable and effective even when they were being persecuted. And the New Testament writers paint the world as kind of a huge court where the truth is constantly on trial. When we take the stand, we are to testify to the ways of the Christ publicly without shame at a time when many were being persecuted for living in that way. We were to bear witness to what Jesus said, and our life was on trial. How we lived was being judged. And so live well, so that your witness can stand. See, it wasn't about say the right things, have the right information, win the argument, have the right apologetics. That wasn't witnessing. 
Witnessing was how you are conducting yourself in spite of the things that are in conflict with you, the things that are causing hardship to you. And in this context, the idea of witnessing is about pointing to Christ as Christ points to his Father. And he did it both in word and he did it in deed. My daughter, she came home. I was watching her dogs yesterday. And she um, came home after work. It was about 9.30, almost 10 o'clock. And for those who don't know, she works at ER hospital. She's an emergency room nurse. And she was telling me about one of her coworkers who she's kind of been working with in training. And through conversation, found out that her coworker knows family or the coworker is involved with people who know me and know her. And so she's like, oh, my, these acquaintances I know, they know who you are and they know who your dad is. Your dad was their pastor. And so she has been having this conversation because the people she knew, they were so much younger then, you know, and she was just young. And this person, this other nurse is grown up in the church, grown up in, uh, you know, kind of went to Christian school for nursing and the family that she knows us through was a Christian family. And she asked my daughter, how do you deal with all these people who die? And do you worry about their souls and where their souls go to? Because I'm not sure what, it's keeping me up at night worrying about uh, you know, am I supposed to tell these people about Jesus while they're dying so they don't go to hell? And we're going to do a whole talk on hell sometime here soon. And my daughter just said, you know, if you are helping these people, you're doing your job. And if you do it really caring about them and considerate, you're doing it well. That's what we're here for. We're here to help these people in this circumstance. And I think if you do that, aren't you doing the right thing that represents who Jesus is? And I think that that has such power in it. I know when I was in the hospital my last time um, after surgery, the nurses, I couldn't help but thinking these nurses are good representation of Jesus. I mean, they were just kind to me. They were considered asking me if I needed help. They were cordial. They, they were doing so many good things. And of course, I like nurses because my daughter's one. I, you know, I know don't act mean to them. And I know there are bad nurses too, right? There's always bad witnesses from the nurse standpoint. But I think it's really important that we start seeing that the doing of good, the living of the life, the, the being the person who is these things to others is the witness. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we have a list of what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, the law is not against such things. This is witnessing, is by bearing this in our lives. The followers of Jesus, 
like Martin Luther King Jr. through the civil rights movement. We're at the front line with a representation lived in the way of Christ. They were witnesses of Christ. But what they were doing was marked in a political sense, marked in a a societal sense, but it represented and I believe was motivated by the character of Christ. And while at the same time, others would tell people, you need to believe in Jesus and have him come into your life, accept the Lord into your life, and yet they supported segregation. Which one was the witness? Which one bore witness to the Christ? The ones who said, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and yet supported segregations, or the one who fought against the segregation and actually represented Christ in a more tangible way. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, after the resurrection, tells the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice Isaiah told Israel that they were God's witnesses Jesus is telling his disciples, you are my witnesses, that you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. Why did they need power? Well, they need power to be witnesses. How were they to be witnesses? To follow in the steps of Christ. And so the power was needed to live in the way of Jesus. Yesterday, I was talking with Conrad, who you guys met last week, and we were talking about this idea, why is it important to have an idea of God, and can't you just do things that are good? And there was a time in the conversation where I was just thinking, you know, one of the problems in doing good is that you start to become the the top of the ladder. Good looks like what I'm doing where when the idea of God comes into the picture, you have an understanding of there is something better than me that I am living into. And by living into something more, it raises me up to a place that I am not. In other words, I have not yet attained what I am being called to. The power is being given so I can live a life that I'm not living, right? So in AA, one of the first foundational things is believing in a higher power. Now, they don't specify what that higher power is, but it's essential to getting from the pit you're in, having something that can raise you above it. And so this idea of being empowered by the Spirit of God so that you can be witnesses is that we are being called to a life that is bigger than us. And we need this power to live into this life. We need power to walk in the ways of Jesus, to have joy, to have peace, to have patience, to have self-control, to show kindness, to show goodness, to show gentleness, to show love. I've been in a number of situations where, how do I say this? I don't want to come off as poor me where I've been ridiculed. People have said things about me from what they've heard from other people. 
where they've blasted what it is I believe or what it is I'm doing or what it is I'm failing to do. And I can remember being in, in a meeting in a group of people where I just felt like, man, this person just came down on me and just, just threw all kinds of crap at me and just like, yeah, you should have done this and you should have done this and you didn't do this. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, I just really want to lay into this person right now. And I'm going home and Corrine, like just seeing, I guess, the exhaustion on me. Like, what's wrong? What happened? And I was just like, I was kind. It just took a lot to not say anything. To not give in to blasting back, to trying to defend myself. To not showing patience, long-suffering. It's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. We need to be lifted up beyond these things because otherwise I I just want to empower myself in the situation instead of be like Christ and entrust myself to the one who judges justly, like it says in 1 Peter. There's a way to do things that's like Christ. And there's a way to do things that doesn't look like Christ. If I go to Whole Foods and I'm shopping and someone's there shopping next to me and say it's some buff guy and he's all fit and he comes up to me and goes, yeah, you're looking a little overweight there, buddy. You should join my gym. That's going to be real effective, right? It's like, you should join the human race, buddy. Who do you think you are, right? I mean, that's not going to have an effective result. But if I see someone and I think, man, that person looks healthy, and I have interaction with that person, and they, they're losing weight, and they're looking better, and there's a glow about them, then I'm usually going to ask, what are you doing, man? Are you on like a special diet? Is something going on? And then if they say, well, you know what I've been doing is this and this. And if you'd like, you can come with me. I can help you along the way. That's bearing witness by how they're living. Their life is telling me by just being that. Before they say anything, there are so many people who talk about Jesus who I want nothing to do with because they're like that person coming up to me and think it's their job to tell me I'm overweight, to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong, to judge me in all these areas of life without showing kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, without pulling me up by their life instead of just using their words. I think evangelism is about becoming good news to the world not by winning arguments or conquering people. We have to live in such a way that our lives wouldn't make sense if the gospel wasn't true. But if the gospel is true, that's why you are like that. And that is how we bear witness. That's what I believe 
is meant throughout the Old and the New Testament when it's talk about being witnesses. And we need to maybe adjust how we think of things so that it's not a matter of, oh, I say these things, I invite people to this, but I become something that is an invitation in my life. And of course, it's with word and deed because that's the world we're living in. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many times where I read and and study these things and I am challenged by how I live and how I want to live. I, I find that the stories in scripture pull me up to a life that is different than maybe the life I'm living or the life that's being promoted around me. And I am grateful for that vision. I'm grateful for that understanding and and for the pull by your spirit to live into Christ so that I can be a witness. And I pray you would help us to navigate these things, especially in, in times where there is so much division, where there is so much hostility against people who don't see things the way we do, who don't believe the way we do, how there is this knee-jerk reaction to defend ourselves and our beliefs. Lord, might we hold tightly to the things that we believe that bring us to the character of Christ? And might we hold loosely the things that don't represent Jesus well. And may we trust you as the Jews had to trust you in Babylon, as the Christians had to trust you under the rule of the Roman Empire when it looks like we are going to be just a memory in history because of the power that is around us, to have faith and trust that you are greater, but your weapons are different. Your power shows up differently. May we lean into the work that your spirit needs to do in us. May you raise up us, raise up us as you did Christ from the dead. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. May you be the good news that the people around you need to see and hear. And may you live your life in such a way that the gospel makes no sense unless it is true. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Stay safe out there. Drive careful. See you next week for the potluck. You guys, we'll talk more. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, we'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com 
It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.